Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit celebrationchurchlive.com. Uh, in our second week of our Christmas series that we've called Choosing Christmas, because the truth is, is sometimes it feels like we didn't choose Christmas Christmas chose us. All of a sudden, it just comes. It just hits us. It is relentless. It is December 25th every year. It just shows up with all of its expectations, with all the stuff that go along with it, and it can just feel like it just chooses us. And for a lot of our culture, it's what happens. Um, But for those of us who have a relationship with God, this should be a time where we choose that even if the rest of society didn't do the decorations, there weren't the holiday specials, there weren't all of the different things in our community, you and I would still choose Christmas. We would still choose to reflect on the greatest gift ever given. And so for this, we to get on that track, we sometimes have to kind of jar ourselves off of the track that just is, everything's kind of running on and just the, the holiday grind and to kind of pause and to jump back uh, into that space where we're purposefully, intentionally choosing Christmas. Because a lot of times the scenes we're dealing with, they're not the scenes we would set for ourselves. We wouldn't necessarily um, choose to be in this space, that things aren't necessarily going the way we want them to go. Some of you this Christmas um, are not going to be able to see some of the people you would desperately love to see. Schedules, distance, just being able to take time off, all those things, it's like, we're going to get to see them next Christmas or two Christmases out, but missing them this Christmas, not getting to hug those necks and be with those people, it, it hurts. And if you had control, you, it wouldn't be this way. Then there's those that people you are going to see, you don't want to see. <laughs> that you're like, if I was writing my Christmas scene, they would not be in the cast. <laughs> and they, they would be somewhere else. They'd be bothering some other family. And so, and you would, you would change it up and now you got to kind of, kind of gird yourself up and be ready for hanging out with that family member, that aunt, uncle, those people at the holiday season. And and you would just, all of a sudden things just don't go the way you kind of saw they might go, kind of wanted them to go. Uh, Christmas has always been a big deal in the the Clark household. I was raised with two parents that did an amazing job every Christmas, making Christmas wonderful and special. And um, and so, and that's just been a big thing uh, for Cutie and I. And so we were just purposed to try to carry that on. And then, of course, there's all these other Christmas traditions. Christmas is is a big deal. We just we just love every second, every ounce of it. Um, And then being in ministry for you know coming on 29 years in March. Uh, my goodness, almost like three decades. That, that went by fast, and, but didn't. And so it's the same thing. And so thank you. But it, it's, we've been doing this for a long time. And then with 
being on staffs, um, we've done a lot of staff Christmas parties. And there's one particular thing that we just were exposed to, loved it. Uh, previous church we were on, on a team with that did this, and we've just carried it on, just one of these holiday traditions. And you may do it in your own home. You may do it with your family. And we have the holiday gift exchange where everybody kind of brings something. Um, some do the white elephant gift thing. and so. But with this, there would be some good gifts, some really good gifts, and there'd be some gifts that weren't so good. And you didn't want to end up with that one. And then the way we kind of fixed it, the kind of way we made it a little more interesting, is everybody sat in a circle, and you took, take a quarter. We're about to do it next Tuesday with our team. As, as you shake the quarter, if it turns up on heads, you get to go switch and get somebody else's gift. So you get to go get the good gift, and you get to leave them with the lump of coal you got stuck with. And so, and you get to go, you get to go take the air fryer or whatever it happens to be that year. And so, and we, so that, that little game. So, but man, as that coin's going around, things change. And so, we've always enjoyed that game. And Cutie has always really loved that game. And Cutie is, uh, I know she, you know, she just seems like this little chill person up here. And, but she's pretty intense in games. She's pretty intense in games. In fact, um, years ago, uh, she bit me in a game of Monopoly. And so <laughs> I just want to put that out there. Any of you ladies going tonight, uh, if there's games, don't sit at her table. And so... Or hand her a snack, <laughs> and so and so, but uh, but uh, so she can get pretty intense. And so we were playing this game. There was a particular thing that she wanted to get, and so it, when it turned up on heads, uh, man, she would go, she would go get it. And if it turned up, if I turned up on heads, it's my job to go get it. I mean, we were, we were both a double barrel and going after this one particular thing. I don't even remember what it was, and uh, but. We're, we're sitting in the, the circle going around. But this particular Christmas was one of the many Christmases um, that Cutie was pregnant. And so having seven kids, there's a lot of those. But she was very pregnant in this Christmas. It was, uh, she was pregnant with Carson, um, who was born in February. So at Christmas, she is very pregnant. And um, decided we're playing this game so she gets the coin. She doesn't have what she wants. It's across the circle. Her coin lands on heads. Woo! She's excited. She jumps up, runs across to go get the gift that she wants. But as soon as she jumps up, everybody knows this is not going good because she is leaning too far forward. And her center of gravity is too far forward. And she's just running across that circle like the Leaning Tower of Pisa, just mobile version. And it's just going across. And so I'm watching it happen, and I just sit there and freeze and do nothing. And so as she's going across, the person who she is headed to can see that this is, this is not going to be a pretty stop. So thankfully, she ends up face first in someone's lap that's a female. And so and she's lands over there, sit there. She's embarrassed. And um, then I realize I have done nothing to help. So now I'm afraid. And so I'm like, do I go, do I go help and render aid or do I run? I have a head start. She's on the ground. I think I might live. <laughs> 
And so, so, but I go and render aid and go to pick her up and get her up off the ground. And she, she t- takes her gift with her. And so she has it. She, she battled. She got it. And, uh, and so I was like, babe, are, are you okay? She said, she said yeah. She said, I just, I just never had my feet under me. She said, I stood up and I just never had my feet under me. And so many times we can feel that when the holidays hit, that we would write this thing a lot differently. And, and she saw that going very differently in her mind whenever that turned heads. But she just never had her feet under. And sometimes at this season, we just feels like, man, it hit and we, we didn't even have our financial feet under us. Man, we've got to get going. We've got to spend time with that part of the family. And I didn't have my emotional feet under me. And sometimes we get to this place and it was just like the schedule. The schedule's too busy and I just don't even have time. I don't, I don't have my, my schedule calendar feet under me. And you just feel like everything is just off. And when that begins to happen, we do everything from an analytical perspective to try to fix that, to try to deal with this messy scene that we didn't choose to all of a sudden deal with this place where Christmas just comes roaring at us. When we look at the first Christmas, it doesn't happen in a way that you and I would have written the scene. We wouldn't have put it this way. But it is a place where we see that God meets us right where we need him the most, right in a space where in the history of Israel, if they were to have been in a place that they were about to give up, this was it. They were in a space where they were no longer the the pride of their region. They didn't have the riches of King Solomon, which King Solomon, scriptures say, made gold so common in the land of Israel that silver was worthless. People didn't even care about it. That, that, that day is gone. Jesus didn't show up in that moment. Jesus didn't show up there. They'd had mighty conquests and they'd done a bunch of things. And the, the Messiah had been prophesied and prophesied. He doesn't show up there. He shows up when Israel is not even a free nation. They're a dominated nation. This foreign Rome is there dominating the region, dominating their people. And they're in a space where if they were to go and try to go shopping. They would go to a local market. They would see this guy, this foreigner, this Roman, sitting there with his Roman armor on, his, his sword by his side, and not even on high alert because he knows these Israelites, they're not going to do nothing. They haven't heard the voice of God through one of their prophets in over 400 years. If there's a space where it feels like the prophecies, the glory days, the good things are gone, it's right now in the timeline of Israel. And that, right when Israel would look like they would just be given up, that's where Jesus shows up on the scene. Right when it makes the absolute least sense. You and I, we wouldn't insert Jesus in that timeline of Israel, but that's when God chose to do that. Let's look at Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 and the writer Matthew wants to make sure we don't have some sort of grand idea of what Jesus's birth looked like. He says this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. 
They had the engagement. This would have been an Instagram day. There would have been the photo shoot. All the pictures would have been up. Everyone knew about it. It would have just been this amazing thing. Hashtag Joseph and Mary. Everybody would have been sitting there and they'd had the registry ready. They'd had all their stuff. It was exciting. But all of a sudden, a but happens. A but happens. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, the writer Matthew, he knows the whole story. He's writing this after Jesus' entire life, miracles, death, burial, resurrection, ascension into heaven. He's writing it after all this. He knows, and he's able to put that in there, that this is, she was pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Um, but guess what? When the angel showed up and talked to Mary, and Mary says, like we looked at last week, let it be unto me according to your word, um, she didn't go tell Joseph Hey, I saw a vision of an angel. And I wasn't inventive. An angel showed up and told me this. She just said yes to God and then began to let it unfold. Well, guess what? As it begins to unfold, it begins to be apparent because that divine life, divine and human, began to do what human embryos, human babies do and begin to grow inside Mary's womb and it began to show and all of a sudden, that's how Joseph finds out. His fiance is pregnant. And his moment happens on the backside of him finding that news. Not on the front side of him finding that news. Not him being able to brace himself. He gets blindsided because it begins to be apparent she's pregnant. And there's a lot of talk happening. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. Now let's remember what the law said. A few decades later, once Jesus is born, he has an encounter there with uh, some people bringing a woman caught in adultery to Jesus. They're ready to stone her. They have the rocks in their hands. They're like, hey, Jesus, what should we do with her? And of course, it's a beautiful moment where Jesus writes in the dust. They end up leaving and... He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. They could have stoned Mary. If Joseph would have made a big deal about it, Mary would have died. But Joseph is being cool about it. He respects the law, but there's this place where he's, he's a loving guy. He's a caring guy. And it says, um, he was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. And he had in mind, or, or he contemplated, to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Um, now Mary actually saw the angel right there in front of her, and Joseph had to be sedated. <laughs> he was, he's asleep. <laughs> so uh, guess what? I'd have probably needed a little happy juice too. Like, I need to be asleep, knock me out, and then I can have this angelic dream. But, so I, I get you, Joseph. And so, um, but Mary, she, was, she got to have like the full encounter, see the angel. Um, Joseph has uh, a dream. It says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now what we see is that all of the contemplation, all of the thought was there because Joseph, 
He was afraid. He was afraid to take Mary as his wife. It doesn't say that he doesn't want to take Mary as his wife, that he's tired of Mary. He's embarrassed of Mary. He's just like, I'm afraid to. I'm afraid to take Mary as his wife. And so that's where he gets the plan. I'll just kind of walk away from this quietly. And so, of course, Mary, last week we saw that the angel has to tell her to fear not. And even though the angel only had good things, positive things, encouraging things to say, just that was a weird experience, freaky experience talking to an angel, and fear just kind of rose up, had to be let go. Fear here in this unplanned experience of having things go way the opposite direction of what you wanted when he got engaged. Fear is there. And we need to see that fear is a human emotion, but trust is a choice. And fear wants to come in and hijack the choice and make the choice for us. And so what we see throughout the scriptures is, the, is God recognizes that. He recognizes that fear wants to come in that, and so that, because it wants to hijack the choice. Let's go ahead and look at some places where we see some fear responses. We see one in Genesis chapter 3, um, there after the fall with Adam and Eve in the garden. It says in verse 9, it says, But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. You know, all these years later, all the technology, all the learning, all the experience we have, you and I, when we get afraid, we, we had to. We had to. That's why we, as we read these ancient texts, it's still so right now relevant because it's real. It's true. Because it's real human response. So here they were. They, they were afraid, so they, they hid. But then we see a different fear response. We see a, a fear response from Job. So let's look at Job chapter 3, verse 25. And it says, What I had feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. There's a space where he had been motivated in his life by fear. Well, what? What kind of things was he doing? What kind of things was he doing? Well, let's go back to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1 verse 4. It says, And his sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays. Birthday parties have been happening for a long time. And they would invite their sisters to eat. That's the problem. <laughs> Kidding. And drink with them. And when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Okay, But look at how he handles it. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them. His arrangements for them to be purified wasn't for them to handle anything they may have done. No, it was him to do it himself. Him to do it himself. He would, he would make the sacrifice. He would do it himself, thinking this. Perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And this was Job's regular custom. All of a sudden, he decided just to work harder. Fear didn't make him hide. Fear made him work harder. I'll just compensate for it. Whatever I'm afraid for, I'll just throw a little more at it. And I'll just outwork whatever it is that I'm afraid of. And then in Mark chapter 4, verse 38, we have a, a moment where Jesus and his disciples are out on a boat and a big storm comes up. And these are, these are very experienced sailors. So the fact they're freaking out means it's bad. And verse, but Jesus is asleep. And verse 38 says, And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. 
the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? They're in absolute panic mode. Freaking out, don't you care? Aren't you going to do something about it? Low key, this is your fault. You don't even care. They are totally, absolutely freaking out. And in these fear responses we see in the scripture, we see ourselves, we see this thing happen. We know people who hide. Sometimes it's us. We know people who overwork and just throw everything they've got at the things they're afraid of. And maybe that's us. We know people who just absolutely have meltdowns. Maybe that's us. But we see that both in this, our response to fear, it reveals our inner challenge to trusting God. See, the fear didn't bring something new to the table. The fear was the pressure that popped up what was already there. The disciples already probably had some trust problems with Jesus. Because, and all of a sudden, that's why they began to question his care. There was always a little bit of narrative there under the surface. And then now, boop, fear comes out, boom. This thing they've been concerned about the whole time comes to the surface. So in this season, we can kind of look at and see, okay, how is this affecting my life? How are these things, when these things show up, how can they be an indicator for me to deal with something, instead of just the surface thing, let's deal with the root thing that's here at work. See, when Adam and Eve hid, it, Scripture says it's because they were ashamed. They were ashamed. And there are those of us who pull back from really trusting God and stepping into what God has for us because of the leash of shame. Shame is holding us back. We hear God speaking to us to step out into some new thing, to begin to, to minister to somebody, to, to begin to, to make a new job shift and step more into what you're called for and you're wired for. And, but then you immediately go, well, what will they think? What will they think? What, what happens if I fail? All of a sudden, I, I know I'll feel shame. And the Holy Spirit is trying to lead you in shame is having you pull back. Just these thoughts. The moment hasn't even hit. It's just thoughts. And you begin to put these little barriers. Shame can begin to be this lifelong barrier that keeps you from really stepping into what God wants for you. And wanting to pull back and hide can be an indicator that shame is running under the surface. Job became hypervigilant he began to just throw everything he had at it, just work everything he had. Just, I'm just going to outwork this thing. The running narrative is, if, I just get, if you just give me a little more time, I can handle it. I can make it work. This place of being self-reliant, wanting to rely on self instead of God can be the thing that keeps us from stepping forward and trusting God. It can be there. Then, of course, the disciples, they're freaking out. They're totally losing their minds. They're yelling, screaming, blaming. That happens when we get afraid. And the underlying thing on there is this false idea that if we're with Jesus, storms won't happen. 
and we are trying to create, maybe with our relationship with God, trying to create this perfect, stress-free, worry-free, storm-free life. And we are desperately trying to map out this false reality that will never exist. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. So all of a sudden, we sit there and try to pursue. No, if I go that way with God, there's going to be a storm. No, I want to go this way with God. God bless this. God make this happen for me. And all of a sudden, guess what? You're not where God wants you to be. And guess what? A storm happens. And then we get frustrated and we don't trust God. But there's another way that shows up with Joseph. And you know what? We all, you know, kind of shake our heads at the hiders. We certainly shake our heads at the freak out people. Like, you need to get it together. Those are the people that get slapped. Like, <laughs> Calm down. And then the, we even know we have a, there's something wrong with the tryhards. We're like, there's something off there. It's not as obvious as the hiders. It's not as obvious as the freak outs, but it's just ah, something off with the people who just overachieve, overwork, just try to force it on their own. But there's a fourth one here. We don't have any problem with them. In fact, we kind of want to be them. And it's how Joseph handled his fear response. Joseph contemplated dismissing Mary quietly. He analyzed. He thought. It's a, he, fear is the motivator. And he begins to be the strategist. How can I figure this out? What's gonna, I'm going to be my, the plotter. I'm going to track through this and do this on my own. I'm going to be able to figure this space out. And this is a place where we rely on our own wisdom. The scriptures have told us for a long time, trust in God in all your ways. Lean not on your own understanding. And here is Joseph trying to figure it out on his own, trying to do it. But we don't have a problem with that. In fact, we want to be that. And it's honestly, it looks more like uh, the space because the people who are the planners, the people who are the strategists, when they get afraid, they begin to think and analyze. Their outcomes, they're the best on human level. They end up doing a little better than everybody else. Certainly better than the freak out people. Do way better when in those moments than the freak outs. Do a lot better than the hiders. And honestly end up doing actually even better than the overachievers. Because the overachievers just throw a lot of energy at it. And these other people are strategists and begin to think. And they do a little better. Then everybody else, we're like, hey, they're, they're, they're not embarrassing themselves. They're not hiding. They're not doing all this stuff. Their fear response must be the good one. And we all want to gravitate towards that. Here's the problem is, is that's, that's the best human level achievement we can get. It's honestly kind of like looking at uh, Major League Baseball batting average. Best batting average in this 22 season was 326. Let's less than a third the reason it stands out is because it did better than everybody else. But is there a ton of room for improvement? Yes. There's a ton of room for improvement. You ask him and there's a ton of room for improvement. He looks back at places he would have wished he would have swung better, did better, made better decisions. 
But everybody else is like, oh, no, I'd love, to, I'd love to do that good. The problem is, is you and I, we analyze things from a human perspective and go, okay, well, this freak-out response, this fear response of analyzing is the better one because it works out a little better on human level. Here's the problem. We do that. We're never going to enter in to the divine level. We're never going to enter into space where we trust God and trust his information over our own information. This is still making decisions without factoring in what God has to say. See, God anticipates our fears and calms them so that we can choose life. Matthew 1.20 says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It says, I know you're afraid, but there's some different information. What's, in, what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, did this all of a sudden make it easy? Oh, yeah, great. Everybody's going to embrace this. Everybody's going to be good with this. No. Ain't nobody going to believe that. That's the craziest lie ever. Yeah, sure. Mary and Joseph, yeah. It was divine. Yeah. No. Nobody's believing that. Time would tell, but it would not even necessarily be in their immediate 10, 12, 20 years. It wasn't going to be until Jesus steps into ministry that there's a handful of people begin to go, maybe that was real. He raises a few people from the dead and feeds 5,000. Like, hey, no, no, they, they, they were telling the truth. All of a sudden, things begin to shift. But his immediate was still hard. But he had new information to take in. Here's the thing is that Joseph was a guy who would think it over. When he got afraid, he would think it over. The problem is, is a lot of times when we think it over, we begin to overthink. And what the angel brought to him with new information was he gave this guy who liked to think it over, he gave him a think over. Now, when you were in school, you messed up, you always wanted a do over, right? Well, Joseph got a think over. He got new information. This is from the Holy Spirit. And now with his new information, he gets his think over and he gets to make a new decision. He gets to make a new choice. He gets to not operate in fear. Fear had him divorcing her quietly, which is as good of a human plan as could have been come up with. But there was another plan when there was new information brought to the table. See, we conquer our fear by leaning in to love. 1 John 4, 18 says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. But the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We tend to be afraid of everything that could go wrong, everything that could go sideways, and we don't want to step into and really step into the fullness of what God has placed on the inside of us. Some of you are wondering why in the world I'm using my Kleenex box as an iPad stand. Like, what happened to Pastor Brandon? And so, in fact, Pastor Keenan was like, he saw me sitting, it's like, Dad, did you not see that over there? I'm like, no, it's, it's, it's on purpose. Here's the thing is, uh, um, I have, uh, you know, sitting in the prayer room and in different spaces, I've, through the years, I have used Kleenex boxes to prop my iPad up over and over and over again on a little coffee table that's too low. And, and just recently, I was sitting there and thinking about... Um, how rarely I actually use those Kleenex boxes. I touch the Kleenex boxes a lot and using them for iPad stands. But how rarely I actually tap into what's inside of one. What's there? 
And then I kind of began to do this weird thought of, you know, if I was a Kleenex box, how would I want to be used? Why is that funny? And you know what? Being used as an iPad stand isn't a bad gig. You can be around for a long time. In fact, you don't even have to open up. You don't have to open up at all. You can stay sealed, closed, all that. It is safe. And just sit there. iPad doesn't weigh much. All's good. I could be a part of this. But guess what? What, was, what it's called to. What it's called to. To open up, it's called to be a part of some different moments. And we have these here, sitting up here on purpose because there are times that there's some tears shed up here at prayer time. Some difficult situations. And sometimes we'll just want to find a different way to do our lives. Say, no, I don't want to do that. I've got, I, I know what to do with my life. I can do this. I can do that. That works just fine. Because we don't want to be involved in the mess. I don't want to be involved in that situation. That's a, that's a scary situation. That's a messy situation. But guess what? We also have some moments where some people are up here and they get one of these because things are exciting. Things are happy. Things are amazing. There's good news and there's happy tears. See, if we try to miss the messes, we will also miss the joys. But either one of those is what this was built for. See, God's called us. The only way we make a difference in this world is if you and I are ready to step into the mess out there. We can try to figure out a way to function in a little box. We can try to function in a little box, but the only way we're going to make a difference is if we're ready to go out there and be a part of the mess. Be a part of the different attacks that happen. Be a part of the sicknesses and the difficulties that come out. That's what this thing is used for. That's what this thing, and guess what? Yeah, guess what? The resources begin to be tapped. And all those things begin to happen. And it'd be way easier to pull away and step away from the mess and find another thing to do with our lives. And that was Joseph's decision. Am I going to do what God has called me to do and embrace the mess? Or am I going to find another logical thing to do with my life? Our choice. Who are we going to be? You can find some other things to do with the day, your days on this planet that aren't stepping into the fullness of what God has. But what God put in you is made for the mess. What God put in you is made for people's joy. That's what God put in you. As we look at this, we wind this up. Matthew 1, 24 says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Was it still a scary situation? Sure. But he made a new choice. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. That is the beauty of this. He entered into our mess. He entered into the mess of the manger. He entered into the mess of Israel at their low point. He entered into the time when, when Herod was trying to kill the infants. There was violence. There was danger. There was hardship. And that was where he entered. That was what makes the difference. Love makes the difference. Our bottom line today is perfect love. Cast out fear. 
Thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram.